0: In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Back in the early 1700s in England, a young man named George was born. He grew up there in Gloucester. His mother and father were not well-to-do. They were rather poor. They owned a tavern there in town. When he was 15 years old, he dropped out of school to help run the tavern with the family. The thing about George was he was a great speaker. And he really knew how to imitate other people. And the person that he loved imitating the most was a Reverend Cole, the preacher there for the local town. And George really had Reverend Cole down the inflections and the movements. And the patrons loved coming and and listening to him put on a skit. I mean, he would say funny things. He would try to make sure he was embarrassing the pastor, embarrassing the church. Whatever it was, he had a way of imitating him. And all the patrons loved it, and they came to to hear George perform. Well, wanting to be really good, George decided that he was going to go on Sunday morning and really listening to Reverend Cole during church. That he was really going to try to get down those inflections, the hand movements. He wanted to study him and get him down well. But when George went to church to study the pastor, something else happened. He began hearing the stories of Jesus and it did something to his soul. So much so that he stopped going to church for the sake of trying to learn to imitate the pastor. He wanted to know more and more about the story. It touched him so much that in the end he decided to go back to school. It was really difficult because they were so poor. He had to really sacrifice, but he went back to Oxford. He began to do well and George Whitfield would meet John Wesley and Charles Wesley there at Oxford. And together they would form what would be known as the Holy Club. It was a group of people who were committed to growing in their faith. And it really had an impact on their life there at Oxford. And when they graduated, it was George who went to Bristol to start preaching out in the open air. And all these people came out to hear him preach. Tens of thousands. But he then felt God was calling him to do something more. And he called his friend, John Wesley, and said, Would you come out and carry on this ministry? And so Wesley came out to Bristol and the fields where he would preach not in a church but outdoors which seemed heretical to him I've been there I've stood there in that place outside of Bristol the view across the countryside is incredible and there Wesley began to preach and the crowds came and that really was the beginning of the Methodist church well what George Whitefield decided God was calling him to do was to come to America and he came to America and began to preach up and down the seaboard and in the mid-1700s. And what he caused was this religious revival, a spiritual awakening that became known as the Great Awakening. And there was this real renewal of religion and faith here in the United States because of George Whitfield and the excitement that he was creating. So here was George Whitfield, this man who really could imitate people. And he found himself proclaiming the Word of God and starting the Great Awakening in America and helping to found the Methodist Church because he had gone to church to imitate Reverend Cole and instead he heard the greatest story ever told. This morning, on this first Sunday in Advent, as you and I begin preparing for Christmas... I want to begin a new sermon series entitled, The Greatest Story Ever Told. We have said that here in 2018, our theme for the year was telling the story. If you remember way back in January, we started looking at stories that we felt were so significant in the Bible that we all needed to know. We needed to know the stories because of the way they would impact our lives we needed to know the stories to pass them on to our children and our grandchildren. Because the story changes your soul. It does something to you. And so all year long we've been talking about the stories we need to know in the Bible. But we've also been encouraging you to tell your faith story. It's why we set up our, our recording booths. They've been out here in the narthex. They're down in the gallery. All year long we've invited you to go by, sit down, maybe it's a couple minutes, maybe it's longer. Talk about how God has blessed you or how you came to know Christ or how God has used you in the world. Share what you need to share. We give you a copy for your family and whatever you share is going to be kept in our archives as a part of our history forever. If you have not shared yet in the video booth, I encourage you to do so in the month of December. Someone will be out there to help you after the service today. You can come by any day of the week you would like. Be a part of the history of telling your story of faith. Because when you tell the story, you know it, it, it does something to your soul. So this morning I want us to start looking at those who are a part of the greatest story ever told. I want us to look at the story of Jesus' birth and see how their lives were affected and know that the same thing can be happening to us 2,000 years later. And of course, the place I think you have to start is with Mary and Joseph. They are kind of the central characters of the story. You remember how the angel came to Mary. She was betrothed to be married to Joseph. That means they were engaged. The angel came to Mary and said, You have found favor with God and you are going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. You're going to bear God's son. Now you remember how that shocked Mary. It scared Mary. It was overwhelming to think, I have been chosen to do what? And how do I explain this now to Joseph? She went to Joseph and told him that she was pregnant, and Joseph didn't take it well. The Bible says he decided to divorce Mary, but he still loved her. He decided that he would divorce her quietly. He didn't want to publicly disgrace her, and so he wanted to do this quietly. But in the end, an angel came to him in a dream and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary for your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph didn't understand. And he was afraid. But he chose to do it. And he married his fiancée, Mary. But now the two of them are facing a very uncertain future. And to make matters worse, the word went out that there needed to be a census and you were supposed to go back to where your family came from to register for the census. Joseph was of the house and the lineage of David. King David was from Bethlehem. It's known as the city of David. And so now he needed to take his pregnant wife back to Bethlehem. The timing couldn't have been worse. She was nine months pregnant. And they were fearful if she's riding on a donkey all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem, We're going to get to Bethlehem and there probably isn't going to be room. It's going to be overrun with people. And what if that's the time that she goes into labor? Those are the things they were afraid of. And sure enough, it's exactly what they feared happened. They get to Bethlehem. There is no room. Finally, an innkeeper says, you can go to the cattle stall. They get out to the cattle stall and that's the night that Mary goes into labor. She has her son. She wraps him in swaddling cloths and lies him in a manger. A manger was a trough for hay to feed the cattle. It's exactly what they feared. It's not how they wanted the future. They wanted to be home. Where it was safe and private, they wanted to be home. Where they could be with family, with friends. And instead, they were off in a cattle stall... And she had to lay her baby in a manger. I think that manger probably symbolized to Mary and Joseph all the things they feared. Isn't it interesting? If you read on just a little further, you will read where the angels come to the shepherds and say, Behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will come to all the people. For born to you this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. Here you have Mary and Joseph who would see the manger as a symbol of all the things that could go wrong and the things they feared. And God would then say, this is a sign for you of the gift of God's love and grace that comes into your darkest night, here's the sign of your hope. A manger. We all love having a nativity scene and having the manger where the baby Jesus will be lying. When the angel came to Mary, the first thing the angel said was, Don't be afraid. When the angels came to Joseph, the first thing they said was, Don't be afraid. When the angels came to the shepherds, the first thing they said was, Don't be afraid. The message of this story is, You don't have to be afraid. And yet, truthfully, how often it is fear that dominates our lives. It's special being a part of a family of faith for 27 years to know so many of your lives. And I know how many have fears about their health. We have fears about relationships. We have fears about our financial situation. We have fears about death. The death of a loved one, our own death. We have fears about the crazy world we live in with such terrorism and hatred and hardness. If we are not careful, we can live in such a spirit of fear of all the things that might happen. And I really believe the question that you and I need to be asking ourselves this morning is, do you live with hopeful anticipation of what might be Or in fear of the future and what might happen? Do you live with hopeful anticipation or a fear of the future? You don't. I don't have to be afraid. It's what the story is about. This shall be a sign for you. A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. God coming in the midst of our darkest nights. That's what I want us to think about this morning. And I want us to think about how do we come to know that hope from this story. And I just want to share with you two thoughts. I believe it is through this story that you and I come to know we can face our fears because we don't face them alone. The angel came to Mary and to Joseph to say, God is with you. In fact, the angel said to Joseph, You shall name your son Emmanuel, which means God with us. The first thing that Mary and Joseph come to understand in the story is God is with them. And because they know God is with them, they also then stick with each other. They have each other. And I love the nativity scene that we all have. I hope you have one at your home. And I love seeing Mary and Joseph and we see the angels. And then you have the shepherds and then you have the wise men. Because what it tells us is you're not alone. And then it was Jesus who was growing up and he begins to call those who follow him his disciples disciples. And then when Jesus is crucified and ascends into heaven, all these people who have grown, they keep getting together to find strength. They begin calling themselves the way. Jesus has taught them the way to find hope in a very fearful world. And they continue to grow to Jews and Gentiles and all across the world. And they start calling themselves the church A family of faith. Because the belief is when you're a part of the family of faith, you know God's presence and you discover you're not alone. And if you're not alone, it does so much to help you face your fears. We've been talking to you an awful lot about Fred Rogers. Because Fred Rogers, that is this year, is the 50th anniversary of the beginning of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is one of the most successful children shows ever. It started in 1968. It was on PBS television. You remember that Fred Rogers is a Presbyterian minister. And the reason he began a children's show was because he hated television. He hated television. He thought, we're trying to make consumers out of our children. I don't like the message we're giving to our children. So he started a whole different kind of show on PBS, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And what he wanted to do was to help children deal with their fears. How do you deal with a time if your parents are getting divorced? Or there's separation? Or there's death of a pet or a loved one? What do you do when you hear about assassination? He dealt with Bobby Kennedy in 1968. What do you do when you hear people talking about hatred of races going on in the 60s? He knew that adults were afraid and they had feelings, but he knew children did. How do you help them deal with their fears? And so he started Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It went hugely successful. And one year later in 1969, it almost ended. It was LBJ who originally started PBS. He too believed we needed to have television with an important message and not just a commercial program. So he created the funding for PBS, but in 1969, Nixon was president and Nixon wanted to cut the funding. He didn't want PBS. He felt it was a waste. He needed money for the Vietnam War and the budget. He wanted to cut it. So they had Senate hearings to decide what to do. And with these Senate hearings, the person heading it up was Senator Pastore. Senator Pastore had made it already known in 1969. He didn't like television. And he now is going to decide do they keep funding for PBS. Ten people were invited to come and address the the Senate committee. He would make the decision, basically. And the first nine came. They had their statements. They would read their statements, answer questions, It was not going well. The 10th person invited to address the Senate committee was Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers had his statement prepared. He was ready to go before the committee. But when he came before the committee, it just didn't feel right. And he said to the senator, he said, Senator Pastore, I teach my children trust. And I trust that you will read this statement that I have prepared. I'd like to just give it to you, and I trust you will read it. Can I just talk to you? You can do whatever you like. And so Fred started to talk. And I want to read you what he said, some of what he said. I'm very concerned, as I know you are, about what our children are seeing on TV. I know these kids are going to struggle as they get into elementary school. They're going to get called names. They are going to be rejected. It's hard when kids go to school. I want to get to these kids and I want to have the opportunity, while they are really young, to look at them each day and be able to tell them that they are special, that they are loved, that they are important, that somebody cares about them. I'd like to be able to start off a show each day and say, Would you be? Could you be? Won't you be my neighbor? Then I'd go on to talk about how to deal with anger, how to deal with loss, when a pet dies or a family member dies. I'd try to talk about the lessons of life. And then I'd end each show by saying to each child as I looked out at them, you know, you've made this day a special day just because you're you. I've watched the film of Fred before the Senate. And as he's going through this, you can watch Senator Pastore. He's sitting up there with his glasses. He's not a very happy guy. And he begins to tilt his head. His mouth starts to open. His face starts to soften. And when Fred comes to the end, he pulls off his glasses and he said, Well, I think you have your $20 million. They got their funding. PBS exists today. Because of Fred Rogers in 1969. They decided to keep it. Because every day Fred Rogers wanted to be able to say, You're special just because of who you are. You've made this world a better place because of who you are. And you can be a part of the neighborhood. We are together, neighbors. Now, you know that we're going to be having our Christmas parties tonight, tonight up in Edmond, uh, next week down here at the downtown campus. And every year when we get together for our all-church Christmas party, we conduct a little business. Then we have a wonderful meal together. And then we kind of have a report of all that's gone on in the church this last year. We try to celebrate what God has done. And we try to do it in a fun and inspirational way. And so each year we do a movie. And this year the movie we're doing is entitled, Mr. Long's Neighborhood. And I get to be very Mr. Fred Rogers-esque. I, I, the whole movie is about how I've been affected by Fred Rogers and how it's made me different. And so then I'm going to be meeting all the staff and, and I'm going to be learning about their ministries and what they've done. And there's lots of laughs and there's lots of humor. And, but when we were doing this movie... And we'd be coming and I'd be listening to them talk about what had happened in this last year. All the ministries that you have done. The lives that are blessed. And I'm listening to this staff person talk. I then always say, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Do you know you're special just by being you? And as I said this, even though it was a line out of the script... And I'm looking into the eyes of staff people. i got to tell you, it did something to my soul. It was supposed to be all funny. It was doing something to my soul to speak those words. And it was interesting to look into the eyes of the people who were hearing this. And they knew it was out of the script and supposed to be funny. And I could see something meaningful happening to them. Because it's such an important message. It's the message of the story. You're special. And you're a part of the neighborhood. You're not alone. In those darkest of nights and the most difficult of times, there's a sign. A baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. God has come. You are not alone. Secondly, I believe that what the story tells us is you and I can face our fears no matter what happens because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. It's because God promises to come and to give us wisdom from beyond ourselves, to give us strength from beyond ourselves. It's when you know the presence of God that you find God's grace, the thing that blesses you, so you can deal with whatever in the moment. You know, I, I know that so often you and I feel like when we're in those dark nights and we're afraid, we don't feel worthy of God's grace. How many times you know you need God's grace and yet you think, I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough. I haven't done the right things. I hadn't said the right things. I hadn't believed the right things. But you know what I find through the greatest story ever told? When you follow Jesus, what you're going to see is Jesus didn't seem to have a problem with people who had questions or people who were less than perfect. The people Jesus had a concern about were the people who were self-righteous and who seemed to think they had all the answers. Now the truth of the matter is, God's grace is to us all. Young or old, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, male and female, God's grace is for us all. You don't have to have been good enough to deserve it or to earn it. That is the message of the story. That God comes in the form of a baby in a manger. there in a cattle stall. They're not alone. It is God's grace that comes to help them deal in the darkest of nights. Now, if you love space like I do, or if you've been listening to the news, you know this last week there was a fascinating story about insight. It was the lander that landed on Mars this past week. We have been building this thing for years. We have spent almost 900 million. It has taken hundreds and hundreds of scientists. It's taken multiple countries doing special parts. We shot the rocket off on May the 5th. May the 5th, we launched this into space and it has been traveling now for almost seven months at 12,000 miles an hour. Now you stop and think about how fast that is. I mean, you and I are out driving on the freeway at 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, 80 or 90 miles an hour. You know how fast that feels. We're talking 12 miles thousand miles an hour and it did that for almost seven months in order to travel ninety one million miles to get all the way to Mars and finally this week it arrived it arrived and it was going to go through what's called seven minutes of terror. it would arrive and then it would have to slow down from 12,000 miles an hour as it got to the Mars atmosphere turn around for the heat shield at the right time deploy a parachute slow it down more the radar had to kick on had to start finding a smooth place to land and then when it did blow the the parachute off open up the legs land at the soft spot turn off the engines deploy the the solar reflectors to be able to to get the the energy it needed More than a thousand things needed to happen in about a seven-minute time period as they came and made entry and landed on Mars. Well, you had all these hundreds of scientists who have been working and now, after all these years and now these months, it came down to these seven minutes. It would have been so easy to be so afraid. And people were watching around the world, Times Square from Texas to New Zealand. Around the world, people were watching to see what would happen. And they had all the scientists up on TV there at the uh, John, at the um, rocket-propelling laboratory. And everyone was so excited to be waiting with great anticipation. And they were started this seven minutes. Now, the fascinating thing is a radio wave, if you put out a radio signal... 91 million miles away it takes 8 minutes to get to the earth. And so as it got close and started putting out radio signals of what was happening it was taking 8 minutes to get all the way back. So if you think about it it was starting its descent and put out a signal and it took 8 minutes to get it back it only took 7 minutes to get down to the to the landing that means it was already done. Before they ever knew what was going on it was done. And they were slowly getting the information. It's slowing down. It's descending. It's descending. And everybody's waiting. And suddenly, we've got a landing. It was perfect. And you see all these scientists jump up and they're all screaming. And right in the center, unbeknownst to NASA, there were two scientists, Brooke and Gene. They were big football players, this man and woman. They were big football players. They'd been talking. What if they have a successful touchdown landing? And they'd been studying the NFL, and they decided they had their own handshake, and they jumped up, and they started slapping each other's hands, beating each other's forearms, banging each other's elbows, giving high fives. It was perfectly choreographed right there in the middle. People around the world, it's gone viral. Everybody wants to see the NASA handshake. Like regular scientists, they had watched the touchdown handshake in the NFL and they went back frame by frame learning exactly what they did so they could choreograph their own handshake and they were ready for that exciting moment. If you hadn't seen it, go online. It's great fun. Rather than living out of a tremendous fear of what may happen, they were living with a hopeful anticipation of what might be They were not paralyzed by fear. They were ready for the future. I'm watching all this and I'm getting really excited because I love space and flying. And it made me start thinking how it was 50 years ago right now we were getting close to landing on the moon. Some of you will remember that. 50 years ago we were getting close. It was July of 1969 that Neil Armstrong would land on the moon. First man to walk in this incredible place we were doing so much with our apollo program i started thinking about us trying to go to space 50 years ago and now we're flying 91 million miles and landing on mars because i got to thinking about it i got to thinking about a story of a a wonderful astronaut oklahoma's own tom stafford tom stafford is such a wonderful guy I've had the privilege of having dinner with him a couple times, going and looking at airplanes and talking. I found him to be a wonderful storyteller and a a very engaging person. And he tells the wonderful story of how he was commander of of Gemini 9. Gemini 9, he had another astronaut working with him, Gene Cernan. I've had a chance to get to know Gene Cernan. I love going to Oshkosh, this big air show in Wisconsin. Gene Cernan was the speaker there numerous times. Very informal and laid back. You really get to know people and had a chance to visit with Gene. Well, it was Gene and Tom who were going to be on Apollo 9, and the purpose was to do a spacewalk. Ed White had done a spacewalk. He got out of the capsule a few feet, was out there a few minutes, and then needed to climb back in, couldn't get back in. We thought we were going to lose an astronaut. He barely made it back in the capsule and they came back. Well, NASA now wanted to have a second spacewalk and they were going to take a huge leap. They wanted Gene Cernan to be on a 125 foot tether and to be out there a couple of hours in space as this capsule is flying more than 1,000 miles an hour around the Earth. That was going to be dangerous. And so they were prepared, they were trained. The day came for the, for the blast off and Tom and Gene were getting dressed. They were in their special place getting dressed when in came Deke Slayton who's in charge of astronaut crews. And he came in and said, Tom, I need to speak to you privately for a moment. They went into another room and they closed the door. And Deke said, Tom, NASA brass is very concerned. They're very concerned that, that Gene is going to get out there and he's going to die. And if he dies, well, they decided that it's not going to be good to have a dead astronaut flying around in space. That won't be very good PR. So if that happens and he dies out there, you've got to bring him home. And Tom starts thinking about this. And he said, wait a minute. If he's out there on a 125-foot tether and he dies and you want me to bring him home... Fly in this capsule, that's, that's going to get really difficult. And wait a minute, if he's out there, I can't close the door, the hatch to the capsule. And that means when we come into reentry, there's 3,000 degree heat and flames coming around. It's going to come into the capsule and burn me up. And if I can't close the capsule, we're going to hit the ocean. Water's going to come in. It's going to sink. And if I happen to have survived, then I'll drown. And Deke is listening to Tom kind of getting on a roll, thinking this through, and he's going, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. What do you want me to tell the NASA brass? You tell them that when those rockets fire and those bolts blow, that I'm the commander of this mission, and I will decide what we do when it happens. Deke said, okay. He went away. Tom came back out into the room to finish getting dressed with Gene. And Gene said, what did Deke want? Tom didn't say a word. They finished getting dressed. They went out to the launch pad. They climbed into the capsule. They strapped them down. They closed the door. Gene couldn't take it anymore. And he leaned over and said, Tom, what did Deke say? And Tom looked at him and said, he said... Have a good flight. What I knew was Tom Stafford had been a member of the Weatherford United Methodist Church. And when he was in Houston, he was a member of the Seabrook United Methodist Church. Connie Winborn was the pastor who was a friend of mine since I lived down in Houston too. What I knew was that Gene Cernan was an act of episcopalian. And when these two men were sitting on top of this rocket ready to go blasting into the darkness of outer space they knew it was going to get dark and a very unpredictable future but they would see the light of the stars. They weren't afraid. They weren't afraid because they knew that they were going into an uncertain future, but not alone. And with the gift of God's grace that would help them to know what to do in the moment whatever came. No, they weren't afraid. It was with hopeful anticipation of all that might be, they blasted into space. you and I can either live with a fear of the future and all that might happen or we live with hopeful anticipation of all that might be. Because there is a sign you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. You don't have to be afraid because of The greatest story ever told. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.